So those background birds piss me off because there's nothing I can do. But I mean, I can go out and shoot them or something, but there's nothing I can do with those birds. Those <laughs> birds are stuck. Yeah. Fucking birds. So the BB gun would just shoot them. I mean, fuck them. You know, throw them to the cat. You know, he'll spit out the bullet part. Yeah, like, like any time I see these vultures flying out, I'm sometimes tempted. I wish I was patrolling around my backyard with a BB gun. And you see that low flying vulture where you could easily shoot that down with a BB gun. Unless it'll take unless, more because it's a bigger bird. No, unless you hit it directly in the eye all the way to the brainstem. There's no way you can kill a vulture with a BB gun. Like one of those little fucking blackbirds. <laughs> yeah. Even though we're never clear on what kind of blackbirds are they exactly. They're either crows or ravens. You can't tell them apart. Their color is black and they're a bird. This is how I describe things. It's irrelevant what kind of bird. Yeah. They're all dinosaurs at this point, you know. All the corvididae of the world can die for all I care. This is the Internet's Worst Gaming Podcast. I'm your host, Loki Jarson. Here with me again today is my brother, uh, Lord Master, a.k.a. Thomas. How are you doing? It's been a while. I'm doing fine. Terrific. Uh, lots of things have been happening in the gaming world in the last few months, but when you're on, we don't talk news. We just talk whatever you've played. So what have you played? Oh, um, the last few months has been the same old, same old. Up until uh, a couple of weeks ago, um, Due to a group of friends, I got into this thing because, you know, it's on Game Pass, Xbox Game Pass, where I'm like, oh, they're all doing that now, and this is up in my alley, so I'll join in on that too. Mm-hmm. And uh, they were all playing Civilization Six, and I'm like, I didn't think these guys would be into that. That's the kind of stuff that I would be doing only. It, you've, I know you've played a few of them. How many of the Sid Meier Civilization games have you played? Two. Uh, the first one being Civilization 4, which I first played it around a few months after its release, but way back in 2005. And I got that around December of 2005. And every once in a while, I still play it to the present day due to um, this one particular mod for Civilization 4 that I still play. That's called Pi's Ancient Europe, which is, you know, strictly set from, you know, Neolithic Age all the way up until the uh, Classical Age. It's mainly that area. And uh, and Civilization Six is obviously quite different from Four, in many ways. In that it's available on consoles. And yeah, any consoles in PC included, obviously. And and it's been out since 2016. So I guess I was a little off when I initially thought 2017, but 2016. That's when it came out. But for Xbox, it came out on. 2019, so that's not that long ago. But it's only a recent addition to Xbox Game Pass, which is why I assume all your friends got it, because it's free, relatively free. Yes, they were all free. Huh? Even though I like, I didn't get into the other Soldier's games, because obviously we all get into different sorts of games over the years, and uh, and especially this, you know, it, like 
Soul Day 6 came out in 2016, and at that time, that's when I discovered Crusader Kings through the YouTube, and then the rest, as they say, is history, as we've talked about it ad nauseum in past podcasts. Uh, I'm not going to pretend to be an expert here, but from my limited understanding, Civilization is kind of like a more accessible, easier strategy kind of game, like the normie person could get it. Turn-based, yes, and uh, resources that you can uh, control yourself within your borders, of course. Whereas, I mean, those strategy games I currently play these days, which are grand strategy games, that's non-existent. I'm just saying in terms of complexity, it's simpler than all the shit you play now. Yeah, I would say get into it. And by the way, um, my, all of my friends that played Civilization, they did not do the tutorial. When I got the game, I did the tutorial because I don't play that many strategy games on console. This is the second strategy game I played on console. First one was way back on a real-time strategy one, which was Command & Conquer 3 Tiberium Wars, which I did well, which did. I did do a multiplayer game on that once, which lasted an hour and 15. Only took one bathroom break. Well, you could be playing Crusader Kings 3 on the console if you plugged in that damn Series S. Yeah, I could, but that's only if I see my friends playing that one, and oh boy. They would also have to get a Series S or X. Uh, or alternatively... PC because uh, one of my friends they actually play it's cross platform, I believe. Hmm. So I might be crazy or whatever. Anyways, how is the multiplayer of Civilization on console? Yeah, one other thing before we get into multiplayer, you know how in Civilization Four, um, when you research a a technology, you get you know historic. No, I don't know how in Civilization Four. Yeah. Like any time you research a tech. And then you get this historical quote that's been narrated by Leonard Nimoy at that time. Oh, yeah, sure. And you know who's the narrator here on Civilization Six? Leonard Malton. Sean Bean. Okay. Yeah. It just, it took, like, well, like when I loaded the game first time, it took me a while to recognize that voice. I mean, it's very distinctive. Especially that I've been watching, you know, Elder Scrolls for Oblivion videos from some other guy that I'm not going to mention. So, therefore, it would have been you know, instantly know who that is. Yeah, I'm aware. Now, the uh, multiplayer, well, these guys were playing multiplayer first, whereas I was playing tutorial, and just hearing their banter over there, it's sometimes like just giving little pieces of advice based on my knowledge from Civ 4 versus Civ 6 that is somewhat different. Uh, give me a... how, how different is it, actually? You know how... Uh, when you move your units onto tiles, right? Um, like, that's where the unit stands. I'm familiar with the, the hex grid, yes. Yeah. Back in, well, back in my day, Civilization Four, you can, you know, move units on top of units. You know, you stack them. You don't stack in Civilization Six. So I don't know if it was that was the case in Five as well that I skipped over. Like, like you can't stack units in one tile. Like, if you want to move that unit on the same places where your other unit is, it's actually going to move over as a way of saying, it's like, hold on, let me, uh, it's like, this unit's centered, and it's like, I want to move this guy, and says, hey, you're blocking it, so therefore I must move. And this makes the other unit forced to move to another tile, to where it was for your moving unit. Okay. Yeah, that's just uh, one thing that... Kind of took me slightly getting used to, even though it does take up quite a bit of space, especially if you're playing on a certain area or region that has no corridors like mountain passes or something, where you where you can imagine that your units have to go in single file, 
so to speak. And uh, and so uh, that uh, makes you know fighting you know wars early on a little you know difficult, especially if you're going to surround the city to besiege and all that. Until you get to the modern age where there's you know aircraft, where you got to have airspace, or at least that one has range and all that. Mm -hmm. And of course, you know, like if like if you're going to build a, improvements, that's what the uh, builders or workers are for. Um, like if you, like if you're next to a resource, it's like hey, there's wheat. Then you got to send to build a farm and all that. If you have the appropriate technology, I mean that was the same as the other civilization games. I'm just only saying that because you're not at all familiar with it and all that. Yeah, a little more clarity would be nice. Yeah, again, I'm using that by memory from you know that multiplayer match that we all did, which by the way, we do it in in a session. Which means we can quit out at any given time. It's just save the game first. Like if you, like if you're all gonna leave, then everybody has to save their game. And not necessarily. It's just whoever's the host, and then you can load up that save file. Then you can go back to where you were um, on the specific turn. So, with your experience in this field, I assume you'd be winning. Oh, during that last session, I did actually no. We're actually being beaten by an AI. In science, there's a, a civilization that we were decided that we're like, okay, this one's considered the greatest threat because they are more technologically advanced than us. <laughs> Although I was initially in the lead of domination victory due to the number of cities I conquered and plus the size of the military because I can afford it because I built so many city improvements that helps me make more money. These commercial districts and you later, like I built, you know, marketplace and sent traders out. And when you get to the later ages, then we have a, and then I have a stock exchange, <laughs> you know, ways to make more money for maintenance reasons to, to get that to use. Mm -hmm. I mean, sure, there's other city improvements, the other districts, such as like one that's for culture, the others for um, science, and the others production. Um, like cultures relates to, um, you know, increasing the size of your civilization's borders. Because that's how you expand besides setting settlers out and build cities to expand your borders. And those other aforementioned improvements uh, besides commercial district and culture, uh, science, that's how you research technologies faster. Um, which, of course, there's building improvements for that to you know, increase the rate of how much you're gaining by per turn. And our production um, is, unless did, I already said production, did I? Well, I'm just going to say yes on that one. Um, that production is uh, is how you build your buildings and your units faster, uh, especially if you build further things, um, such as, you know, industrial zones and all that. Uh, as always, I'm going to ask the most important question. This is fun. With multiplayer, actually, yes. Mostly because of the banter of what you and your buddies are doing, um, unless... Unless you're fighting in a war, which I never fought against a player war um, in that multiplayer session as of yet. But I can tell you this, um, since, you know, we have not gone back to playing that game for about a week or so now, since that last session, I was giving them in vague uh, conversations. It's like, yes, we're preparing for a World War-like scenario against two AI civilizations because they're leading the aforementioned science victory. That's one of the victory conditions and all that. Um, Mm -hmm. And 
And uh, they do not have, uh, I mean, we're in the, well, we're in the, uh, I'm trying to remember the age of the session. I think it's information age, which is basically the current one we live in, present day. Where I was in vague telling them that I'm building a wonder where it's actuality and they don't know it yet, but I'm building a world project, which is the Manhattan Project, which means uh, whichever is the first civilization to discover a certain project, then the whole world knows it and they will have it unlocked. So I, let's say I get the nukes first, but I don't have the weapon yet because you need to build either a bomb or later, you know, ICBMs, which you need to build. Well, actually, get a military engineer. To build somewhere in the map tile, somewhere, to make room for a missile silo so you can place your missile there. Uh, so that way, as I said, I was being invaded to the players I'm building a wonder. No, I'm building a nuclear weapon for future use as a deterrent to anybody that tries to mess with me. Detente. What's that? Detente. Uh, yeah, that's, that's it. <laughs> so I would... Yeah, I played. I played Peace Walker. I know what it's all about. <laughs> and uh, again, it's just a lot more different features. Um, that is quite different from four. It's just a lot of it is kind of retained, but that's based on many years of playing four and using my memory of playing six from weeks ago. <laughs> Especially that first session I was in, which we had to end it prematurely because of that one hailstorm that came here. We don't need to talk about that. That's okay. Yeah. That's just before we got back into it and all that. Oh, yeah, I remember one of the other victory conditions. Besides cultural, science, domination, there's also score victory, and, um, which is basically who's got the highest score for doing whatever you whatever you did that contributes it by any means. And there's also religious victory, which means that the uh, religion that... Whichever is the most, you know, numerous in terms of how many cities that adheres to this faith. That's another way of getting it. Another way to win. And that is basically just have 80 or 90% of the world's map of all the cities in the world to be of one true faith that you're trying to, you or whoever's trying to spread. The truth of whatever you say it is. Yeah. Whereas that did not exist in uh, Civilization 4. But the mod that I mentioned earlier plays it. Yeah, that one is a thing. But that never goes really. On a point based on position in the world that time, depending on how big the world map is. And by the way, that multiplayer we did, it was set on um, True Earth Huge, which means whichever civilization you play on that particular world setting is going to be where it's originally. Like, say, if you're playing as Persia, then you will be playing in the area of modern-day Iran. Um, and if you're playing as America, you're definitely playing over in the area of the modern United States. That's what we mean by those. Hmm. But of course, there's many different world map types, including randomized ones or continents or whatever that do not resemble the real Earth that we live in, because you know. So, uh, your friends are joining this. Are you gonna play it again? Oh, if I get into the party with them next time on the Xbox, and I just gotta convince them, it's like, hey, we haven't finished this thing, even though we feel like we're kind of three quarters of a way done, and we were on the verge of having this. We were this close to greatness. Getting close to starting an epic war that we got to cooperate against the AI that's leading to science victory. In other words, we're going to... Let's just say most of our equipment at that time is like World War II standard, and they're, since they're more advanced, well, then they're slightly. So it's a slight handicap unless I put a lot of money, which I do, on having a larger army where I can cover two different fronts. 
and uh, and and uh, again, it requires cooperation because you know that's what alliances are for. Like you can't just you know start a war and the other player just joins in to fight a common enemy like you do. That's what setting up an alliance is for. And suddenly we're playing Crusader Kings. So yeah, so yeah, diplomacy is quite different with you know with players than with AI because I'm used to you know interactive with AI with diplomacy of how to improve relations or make enemies out of so it's slightly different players because in a multiplayer that means whatever request that you're going to send well then sometimes they're going to forget it. it's like oh you send me something unless you have to tell them the party so it's like hey i sent you uh some gold or um it's like hey let's trade i'm going to give you two cows resources while you give me two of your gold resource not gold coins but minerals uh sheep for wood like we're playing settlers of Catan. what is that one it's a board game, strategy game. Yeah, not quite like what I've been describing to you here. Oh. Yeah, exactly, like, because it's on a hex grid and you have to take turns, so, yeah. Well, PC strategy games evolve from tabletop strategy games. To deny otherwise, this is ridiculous. And finally, the one last thing I'll say about Civilization Six is, um... <laughs> I mean, there is such thing as, you know, agendas that influence the players in interactions which that's usually applied by ai opponents doing that to you and it's unique to each of the leader emulating notable historical events respective personalities and policies and some of the other ones that may have a second hand agenda which can only be revealed through espionage which that doesn't come around till later ages when you can build spies and send them to some other city to do whatever be it sabotage or try to steal their tech which there's percentages of success so the odds are good that one of your friends knows you're lying to them about nukes? Uh, no, uh, the, when I used my spies um, at that time, I was going for stealing the tech against that aforementioned highly advanced civilization um, rather than one of the players, because what the hell do they have? <laughs> because, uh, well, maybe they want to know what the hell you have. Yeah, like that one time, uh, you know, just send them over there, and they're like, I'm hearing all those whispers, and, and one friend says, what are you talking about? And the other says, yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> We're all being vague. So yeah, that's, that's my, no, I think it's more my initial, uh, my initial supposition that you're playing against total amateurs. Mm. It's like if you're playing against me, I could, I could bumble, I'm not going to play it. Putting that down. But I could bumble fuck my way around there, you know, not know what I'm doing and accidentally get my ass kicked. I know just enough to be dangerous. Yeah, as you've got a poker face. Well, I'm a better liar, but I mean, in terms of actually strategizing in a video game like that, I don't know. So, yeah, I'm not terribly interested in civilization or other things. You had something else? Another strategy game? You, what, is it a strategy game? Because the way you described it, I didn't understand it. Yeah, this one's another strategy game, another turn-based strategy game, which, of course, due to me being familiar with Soldiers of Six, and then I heard of this game just by chance. Like, it's something, like, I didn't find out on a YouTube or an article on the internet, but it was from a completely different thing that I looked up until I saw an image of it. And then I looked at that game, and then I found it, and I'm like, oh, this is interesting, because it's a combination of two strategy games I often play these days. Hmm. So, again, I discovered it when I was going through um, Reddit uh, or on something you don't need to really know about. It's just I found an art image. It actually comes from this game. And then uh, I had to look it up, and then there's this strategy game that's called Old World. Even though it... 
Oh, for some reason, I thought it was New World. That's the Amazon game, right? I guess you could say, I don't know nothing about the New World. I only know about the old. <laughs> so, anyways, um, Old World, much like that aforementioned uh, Pi's Ancient Europe mod from Civilization 4, that, that the game is set in ancient and classical eras. Um, with, uh, as I said, it's a combination of Civilization and Crusader Kings. It incorporates the... the uh, again, the, the gameplay is comparable to the Civilization while it incorporates dynasty simulation and narrative events that's reminiscent of Crusader Kings. Who What's made that? it? Who, Who made, made it? it? Mohawk Games. Never heard of them. Yeah, it's like it's only ten years old, um, so it's kind of relatively new. Like when you think about developers with with the games that come out these days, even if it's rather sophisticated. But unlike, you know, Civilization VI, um, Old World is a smaller scale 4X game than, than its forebearers. And it's only been around for about two years now. Uh, no. One and three quarter years. So You can just say two years. Because it first came out on July 1st of 2021. And only uh, discovered it last month and how do i describe a game like that is um as i said <laughs> it's basically a merger of the two games i'm very familiar with except it's strictly for ancient and classical eras no medieval or beyond so how do you well what's compare what's a comparable game to i can get a base understanding of like this is necessary so, I would say it plays very similarly to Civilization VI, like I told you about the unit placement. It's a grid system? Yes, grid tile system. It, yeah, it's like that still. Hmm. Um, but the, what makes it different from that is um, regarding unit movements. I mean, it's like, yes, you still have your, like your land unit can only move three tiles, like your warrior unit, for example, basic melee unit that you start off in the game for example, um, where it's like, yes, you can move three spaces. It's like, oh, it's like, well, then what happens if, um, like, you want to engage this um, enemy unit out there, out on the field somewhere, and yet you run out of uh, movement speed. Like, say, you are just one tile short from interacting with it. I mean, in Civilization Six, that is the case where it's like, okay, you use up all your movements and you can't attack it. But in Old World, yeah, you can, because there's a different mechanism to that. It's like, Yes, units can still take three moments, but they also have uh, a little thing called orders, which you have a certain amount of orders that can be used per turn. Um, so let's just say you as a nation, you have 15 orders, which every single move that you make on a tile counts as one order. And then, and that aforementioned unit that you want to attack, mm -hmm. but yet you ran out of all three movements, spaces because you used it up for this unit well if you're next to it you can still attack it um despite the fact you already used up your movement you could still attack that other unit um, because that counts as an order it sounds vaguely similar to like uh three third edition fourth edition dungeons and dragons where you have movement points and action points attack points you know what i think that's much better comparison so Movement and attack is all action points. Yeah, that's what it yep. is. 
and uh, what however just be careful not to use up too much of it if you're trying to move you know one army of sorts from this one part of the world and yet you want to still want to move your other units on the other side of the world towards the other because you know you're going to use you're going to use it all up for the turn like you used so the the term in role-playing game in tabletop role-playing games is known as action economy where you have to you have a set amount of points that you have to spend in your turn and you can either spend all of them or none of them, but you're always going to have that set pool every Yes, turn. and there are ways of increasing the uh, maximum, you know, amount of axe points you can have per turn. Well, there's mm -hmm. ways to improve that. And as well as whatever events that come up, that makes you have to use up some of that. Uh, so it's basically making you to try to choose wisely here. It's... I would hope so as a strategy game. Oh yeah, so it's not like Civilization where it's a bit more streamlined. This one is slightly complex than that. And the Crusader Kings portion is that they incorporate the uh, Dynasty simulation, um, which of course I've told you many times in many of my Crusader King experiences of what you do with the characters and all that. But um, but for a turn-based game, that only implies the... Um, it's like, yeah, you could sit, like, like there's you the leader, then you can marry to a spouse and have children for the line of succession, since it's all dynastic. No such thing as republics. Because that's, um... Well, yeah, because it ends at a certain period. They hadn't invented democracy yet. Yeah, the, you could say maybe democracy did exist in certain areas, but the modern form of it, which would be republicanism, no, that's a later medieval invention, I believe. Yeah, well, so obviously when I say democracy, I mean probably the term, modern terminology, you know. Yeah. Yes. And also the every character is, uh, does have their own set of, you know, traits, um, just like the Cedar Kings games. Um, so their personalities tends to vary, including, you know, it's based on their education and choices made and, and all that, as well as whatever events that come up, which I can at least tell you a few, for example, that I took screenshots okay. of my tablet. <laughs> yeah, some of the narrative events. And sometimes historical characters do appear, regardless of whatever civilization you're playing as. Well, I said civilization out of habit. They're called nations, but it's the same meaning. Mm -hmm. Where, like, I had a guy named Cato, which is, yes, that's the historical Cato, you know, the Roman guy. Despite the fact that I was playing as Carthage earlier this, uh, before we recorded this podcast. <laughs> so, so that little event popped up um, where you can actually bring him to court and all that. <laughs> I even met Jonah the prophet, you know, the guy who was in a big fish or a whale. Yeah, met him. Yeah, I met yeah, I him it. as well. And uh, so you could say, yes, there's a mix of, you know, historical characters that may pop up at a certain, you know, time period of the turn that you take, regardless of civilization. Okay, here's one that I could tell you for a random event. Since I was Carthage, so bear with me here. The people of Carthago, which is the Carthaginian name for Carthage, it says, listen to the horror details of Farhan's adventures on the open seas. They say an endless brilliant ocean inhabited by gruesome beasts of the deep marks the westernmost boundary of the known world. In other words, we 
discovered Atlantic Ocean. And so our explorer reports that in the depths of the ocean lurks horrors beyond imagining. He tells tales of immense tentacled beasts that could crush a ship of a dozen snurry arms and ravenous behemoths. Again, it's all talk, you know, that's how people were back then. So it's Cthulhu or a squid. Yeah, and so and so the guy I sent out here, um, which he was my half brother who isn't in line of succession, so I just gave him the job of oh, how about you go exploring something, you know, just do something with your life. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. And I mean, yeah, he discovered the Atlantic Ocean and he later discovered the lands of Thule, which is suspected to be Norway or Iceland, that scholars can't really define it. And so they give you those choices. It's like, hey, bring them back home. Or it says, hey, stay out there. Keep exploring. And more future events will come up. And also, if your character has a certain trait, such as inquisitive, you could say, let our scholars analyze these reports and send out sailors out to hunt and study these monsters. Let's see if indeed there be dragons. And yeah, the, much like with civilization, there are religions in the game, but it's not that huge of a deal until it becomes so later on. Unless uh, there's a certain civilization, unless you start as a certain... Uh, like, say, when you begin a game, like, you got to have your settler and you build your first city. You could pick... It's like, okay, you are the founder, and which of the family... Like, you know how way back in Imperator Rome, there's prominent family characters... It's like, well, then there's your ruling dynasty, and then there's two or three other prominent families that you got to watch over as well. Same case here. Where they give you special uh, traits or abilities that's unique to a certain family that you got to have cooperation over. And, and, and every single mm-hmm. nation, as we mentioned religion, every single nation in the game has its own paganism. And it doesn't go spread, you know, onto other civilizations until um, later in the game when more organized religions are found, which those are the ones that can be spread, which there's only about four of them in the game. Um, Judaism, Christianity, Zoroastrianism, and Manichaeism. Great, I haven't heard enough about those last two for last the rest of my life. Yeah, because they're from the Eastern world. <laughs> Whereas I was playing as Carthage, so that's a little more, well, Western and North African. And yes, I, and yes, I played it on real Earth. And see, it's interesting in that you don't typically uh, play as the popular civilizations in any of these strategy games you play. Old world, um, let's just say the amount of civilizations or nations, whatever you want to call them, it's interchangeable with me in this here podcast. Um, mm. Where uh, it's kind of limited. So you can basically get the impression that the old world is more like Mediterranean world. Because it can only go as far east as Persia and as far west as Carthage and Rome. And there are others in between, such as Greece, Egypt, um, Assyria, Babylonia, and Hittites. So those are the playable ones. So there's nothing really else you know, beyond those points except the, uh, the little um, tribal nations, you know, kind of like city-states. So this is closer to Europa Universalis, except not as complex. Yes, but stuck in the, what was, what we, they called it, the known world at that time, rather than the old world as a whole. So, is there like a start or a, a set end date, like when you get to this 
day the game's over. When I was playing single-player earlier, it's up to 200 turns, which may not sound like much, but I may have to look that up to see if it's adjustable. And and yes, they all have their own different victory conditions, including one thing that's kind of hmm. unique to the game that Solar does not have, and it kind of makes sense regarding mechanics, is ambition victory, which means uh, it's, a, it's a thing that you, as uh, a player... Like, you know how you set your own... You don't necessarily set your own goals. Like, say, it's like, hey, I want to establish a colony. In other words, build another city on another island or a continent. Um, that's one of the ambitions. I want to enact a law of tyranny. That's an ambition. I want to kill five enemy units. That's an ambition. Yeah. Sure. Complete, I don't know, 40 of those? That's a victory. If you set that as a victory condition. Oh, accomplish smaller goals is your is yeah, they're your larger quests. Goal. Hmm. So that's what just makes it a little feel unique, along with almost a bit of role-playing elements, but it's still turn-based. Yeah. 4X turn-based, but smaller 4X. But again, the game is relatively young. I'm, I mean, there's only about two DLCs that came with it, which I do have them as well. Um, which one of the DLCs is more Greek-themed anyway. Um which is called Heroes of the Aegean. Have you made videos of uh, these? No, because that one's still still under the learning curve for me. And and also I would say hmm. that it's probably not that well known to those strategy enthusiasts at large. Um, as I said, it's a young game and I would say, um, well, it's kind of early to say, but it's kind of underrated at the moment. It's just I kind of like the, you know, the merger of the two strategy games I play so often. Sure, understandable. So, um, I was, I was trying to think of something else. Of what else am I missing regarding the world that makes it different from Civilization VI? Oh, yeah, we mentioned resource gathering. Well, that's kind of a bit different, you know. Like this one little thing that says to go beyond traditional resources that buildings that are made of wood and stone and not industry. Population doesn't grow off food alone, you know. Because, you know, <laughs> we mentioned about orders, which is a resource that's shared across the realm. Where, we, where I mentioned that instead of moving every unit once per turn so they can move multiple times until fatigued or orders are depleted. And plus, uh, you know, like I mentioned, technology advances in civilization. Unless I didn't, but, but anyways. No, no, I, yeah, I got it. Yeah, because you know how tech tree works, and especially when you go over the ages. But how, mm -hmm. however, in old world... Technological advancement is actually not predetermined. Because, you know, one thing doesn't always lead to another. It's actually randomized just to keep the tech trees, you know, feeling fresh with each new playthrough that you start. Like, say, like, if you're trying to go for, you know, like, say, it's like, hey, I would love to have monasticism, for example, but that's like 26 turns. I got to, you know, go get one that's for four turns. And then the next time when you give it, that menu comes up, it's not there anymore. Until you research a little more, until it eventually comes back up again. So they only give you four choices rather than multiples. That's part of the tech tree. And sometimes they, hmm? and sometimes they give you an alternative. It's like free worker or a free settler that you can research, which will take you a few turns. Which is basically, hey, free units for something that'll benefit you instead of, you know, actual beneficial tech that you're supposed to get that's just one of the things and uh 
the other quality of life improvements, such as the ability to undo mistaken commands and nested tooltips, so that way you could be making informed decisions. Like in case it's like, hey, I did not want to build that. Stop that. And, you know, you can undo that. Although I recall you could do that in Civ 6 as well. If you're trying to build something and you want to put a stop to it for whatever reason, especially during wartime where you want to focus on building more units instead of buildings. And uh, and I mentioned about the events. There's about 3,000 events in Old World. And the DLCs that I'm about to talk about here, which the first DLC that was released um, is called Heroes of the Aegean, which that one is more ancient Greece themed, including, I mean, they all have historical scenarios. I mean, besides, you know, it's like, okay, let's do single player and do it on wherever you want to play on. There's also scenarios as in like historical scenarios. You play as famous guy fighting famous battle. Yes, basically. Um, in fact, um, I mean, before I really get down to any degree, each of these nations or civilizations that you play as in that game, you actually start off with the um, founding of a certain historical dynasty. Like, say, if you're playing as Greece, you start off as Philip II, you know, father of Alexander, Alexander the Great. Oh, I mean, that's one example. <laughs> or, or including those that, that aren't. Founders of a certain city. Like, I was Carthage, so I was first playing as Dido, you know, that legendary founder of Carthage. You ever heard of that woman? That little. No. Don't know anything about the tale of the foundation of Carthage. I didn't watch Engineering and Empire Carthage? No. Yes, there is an episode of that that exists. Of course there is. <laughs> so, yeah, that's just an example where it's like, yes, historical characters exist, including those two people I met. Including that one screenshot I saw, which is how I discovered the game. It was that screenshot I saw, which is, you founded Manichaeism, and there's a picture of Prophet Mani, historical character. Now, the uh, DLC here, um, which... Historical grifter. Yes. In the DLC here, uh, besides some of the features that they added, but they also added six historical freeform scenarios, each with unique characters and objectives. In Heroes of the Gene, like, you get to play as... Um, Greece, such as you lead Athens against the Persian army of, of Darius I in, to reenact famous historical effects like uh, Philippides running to Sparta in the decisive battle of Marathon. I mean, that's one of the scenarios. <laughs> um, or even in much later ones, um, such as a... as this one that describes it as an RPG-like cloak and dagger where you play as... Uh, Philip's widow, Queen Olympias, as she holds that Macedonian Empire together after the king's assassination and shepherd the young Alexander into the leadership before his rivals takes power. Or you, or you mm-hmm. can do it, you know, the old, I mean, many games have that. Um, civilization, uh, friggin', I'm sure there's mods of Imperator Roman alike where you play as Alexander and just Conquer the ancient world, you know. Many games exist like that. And here, here is this no exception. Is, I was going to say, this game is mod support? There are mods, but they're not as numerous. Again, two years old. And I'm sure some are still updated, but I don't have any mods. I'm not using it because, again, relatively new for me. The second DLC, which came out three months ago, 
it seems like they do like one DLC. It's only two DLCs for now. So there's no announcement of a third yet, but it's still updated. The last update was about last week, in fact, as of this yeah. recording. Yeah, the second DLC is called The Sacred and the Profane, which it touches more of a religious fervor to the gameplay, which adds 350 plus new events from small rituals and everyday belief to the power struggles of state religions and the emergence of world religions. You know, again, we already we mentioned every nation's got its own paganism, and then later came the four world religions that I mentioned, which is those are the ones that'll spread. Especially if you are the founder of any of these, um, including those added about a couple of character traits, um, and there's clergy characters, such as, you know, the head priest and all that, and uh, as well as the six new historical characters, like Prophet Mani, I mentioned before, and there's also, you know, Hypatia, the Alexandrian scientist and, and philosopher, or, uh, Josephus, who was a Jewish rebel general and scholar. Never heard of him. Yeah, those are just some historical characters that I'm just naming as examples that they've added there. And as well as mechanics involving religious uh, dissent mechanics, where it's negative opinion from a religion that can lead to dissent in cities with that, which can have lasting consequences. And as well as the uh, 10 new cult city projects, which which is just improvements for existing surrounds, which I only built a few myself um, in that playthrough I did earlier. So basically, that DLC package is just features just a lot of what-ifs, you know, for, for, for that time, of course, both old and new. Mm-hmm. Again, it's a two-year-old game, and the uh, content may not sound like about as much as, say, a Crusader Kings game, but, hey, give it time. It's an underrated game, in my opinion, now, since it's... So that that led to my question from earlier of, like, do you want to signal boost this? Do you want to make videos on it? I may possibly do a video series on that, as long as I'm not occupied with the ongoing ones. I mean, Lord knows that, you know, that Crusader Kings 3, I mean, they've announced, like, three DLCs that will take up this year. Well, yeah, that's what they do. Yeah, because they it, and they did a little twenty-seven twenty-seven percent deal off on their bundle for their next three DLCs. It's kind of like a a mini subscription where it's like it's like buy this and then you'll get these DLCs that will come out for the calendar year of twenty twenty-three. I wonder how long, how far away we are from that. Where I know EA does it as a part of Game Pass, but EA also has their separate thing. Ubisoft has their separate thing. Um, some other companies probably do. I know Nintendo has its own separate thing. So we're like individual game marketers now. It's like Paradox Interactive Plus. You pay a subscription, you get all their shit. Yeah, but it's not like for the rest of the game's existence. This one is just for this year. It's Crusader Kings 3 Plus. Yeah, kind of like that. And plus, even if you did buy the bundle, you also unlock one tiny DLC, which is just cosmetics. Based on the amount these things cost, I would expect a lot more, but... Well, that's the business of the games. Uh-huh. Some people think they were being generous at this time. <laughs> no. Based on the pricing I've seen from Paradox across all their Especially mini things, no, they're EU not a 4. generous company. Yes. 
we we had this discussion off air about like the uh i'll probably wrap it up with this I'm editing this up we had this discussion off air about like the european no wait, it was with stizzy my bad the european price of games versus the american price of games like we constantly bitch about the american economy but european gaming economy is just absurd like euro trucker and all those things they cost absurd amounts that's uh it's just uh like i wonder if like this is, i was i don't know why i'm thinking of that. that is exchange rate like does that even matter you know dollars versus euros of game prices maybe but the, the issue is that all of these games are made in europe like every if it says simulator it's likely made in europe obviously euro truck but like power wash i think was made in europe and farming simulators are from europe and a whole bunch of shit is yeah. from there and old and everyone in Paradox Interactive's thing. And Old there. World that I play in, it's developer Mohawk Games. It's American, not Europe. Which is weird because they spend their entire game in Europe. And in fact, that's the second game that they've ever made. What was the first? Off World Trading Company. Oh, you know geez. that one? No, it just sounds really yeah. boring. It's a science fiction themed RTS game set on Mars. So Stellaris. Yeah. How come you never played Stellaris? I don't know, but I know a few people. Oh, that's from a different social circle. That's on Game Pass, or it used to, it used to be. I don't know if it's still On is. Xbox Game Pass? Yeah. That's how I played the 10 minutes I had to play for a quest. Hmm. Would they tell you to get an achievement? No, I just had to play. I had to do a thing. Okay. I don't remember what. Cause it was like because, you know, to get achievements, you got to do, do Iron Man mode. No, that's not happening. Yeah, no. I'm well aware of the ridiculous achievement qualifications for Paradox yeah. Interactive. Are there, are there any other games that are like that? That's kind of unique um, besides Paradox Interactive, where you got to have this certain mode on to unlock achievements. Well, many, I would say like 90% of games that utilize achievements and or trophies, like when the, the publisher or their uh, developer cares, they will put a beat on hard, beat on super hard, beat on ultra double plus hard. That kind of shit. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I forget. I think that's probably more common but, but than we it's, think. It's not, it's not locked, but it's not locked behind what PI does, which is, no, you can't get anything unless you play into this mode, which is stupid. And uh, and people who make mods for those games, um, they would often put it in the description that says, not Iron Man compatible. Few of the mods are out there that are Iron Man compatible, which is mostly cosmetics because they don't affect the overall gameplay and all that. That makes it a big mm -hmm. overhaul. But... This is not a conversation for today, but the degree of people who care about Steam achievements is probably a lot lower than people who care about Xbox or PlayStation achievements trophies, you know. I'm sure there are some, but not that many. In, in One more thing about the old world game before we move on to the next topic is mm -hmm. that, um, that the designer of the game is uh, Soren Johnson, who used to be the uh, lead designer for Civilization IV, um, in which he has said that he considered a, a game that covered 6,000 years of world history as both a blessing and a curse um, regarding Civilization. But, and so, that's why the Old World game is only focused on the uh, earliest eras of Civilization, such as, you know, Ancient and Classical. I'd be, as I said, I'd be more interested in what Sid Meier thinks about it. Is that how you say his name? Because my friends say it differently um, because they are not familiar with that. I'm 99% sure it's Sid Meier. 
Anyways, uh, on to less prominent video game designers. The thing that I'm reluctant to talk about on this show. One other PC game you've been playing recently. Yeah, I bought it at the same day as um, Old World, which is a quite different genre of what I've been playing lately. And quite different in quality as well. Oh, yes. Um, but uh, unlike Old World, where I kind of discovered it by chance, well, this one I discovered it through YouTube video recommendation. Um, which uh, which was uh, basically some guy doing a, a live stream highlight, a 30-minute video, and um, I was kind of laughing my ass off because of how over-the-top and stupid it is. I mean, I can admit it's stupid. Oh, yeah. And that game uh, is called um, Wrestling Empire, and no, it's not a strategy game. Not a strategy game at all, mm-hmm. despite the Empire name. I don't. I wouldn't have thought of it that way. I'd have thought of like Evil Empire. But so, what is the genre of the game? How would you describe this? Well, since it's a uh, professional wrestling game, so therefore a wrestling game. You know, it's kind of like a subgenre of fighting game, right? Yeah. That's how it would fall under the category. Sure. Whereas I don't play. Well, I only played like one fighting game franchise in my whole life. I've never done any of the. You know, the more well-known ones, if you know what the, I'm talking about. Yeah, all the ones I play, yes, yes. Uh-huh. So, Wrestling Empire has only been out since, um, I was about to say 2021, but am I correct? Yep. That's, Im- that's impossible. Yes, came out the same year as Old World. I don't believe you. How Was it in beta for 15 years? And... Uh, I would assume so, because this was, um, obviously, that means it would be under the development of the uh, Pandemic Era, which, of course, that makes indie game developers, you know, have a little bit of a slower time trying to produce or delay it for some time, even if it's an... I, I'm not going to give AAA studios excuses for Corona anymore. I'm absolutely not giving to indie studios, especially when it's one or two people who can work in their homes all the time anyways. Video games, if they're PC, Switch... PlayStation, Xbox, they're all made on computers. You use computers in your home. Rather than at a studio. Why would he need to go to a studio to make this? You can make this in an hour, I imagine, on Game Maker. And a guy who developed this, that's not even his first game that he developed. He, oh, no. He developed so, lots and lots and lots of wrestling-related lots games. Lots of trash, so... Uh, you off air you told me about this game and I was like I don't know if I want to talk about this what, show me what it looks like and the second you showed me a screenshot I said I know exactly who made this mm-hmm. um, I don't know if I actually want to say the name on air but fuck it M. Dickey is the name he goes by I used to know his real name Matt Dickey it's not his real name um, I, it's something else completely different trust me because a long time ago in like 2008 2007 I was a member of the Something Awful forums on the internet before they went to hell. Um, he was kind of a... I know he posted there. And he tried to, you know... I don't want to say peddle his wares. That sounds wrong. But sell his games there as well, too. He's like, look, I made this game. Was, Please buy my game. Was it all wrestling? No. Uh, at first he made a new New Testament uh, featuring, like, Dragon Ball Z characters in the Bible. Uh, I've seen part of a playthrough, but it was a long time ago, so I don't even know if those videos exist anymore. He's been doing this a very, very long time. And it's the same damn art style as Wrestling Empire. 
I also I have vague recollections of this name now, of Mamdiki's Wrestling Empire. So it's been around a lot longer than 2021. So no, I don't. Finally got published on Steam in 2021, maybe, but it's definitely around before then. Cause boy, it looks it. Uh huh. That, that's why uh, some people have said that many of Dickie's games are just, you know, rather infamous for the awkward controls and poor graphics, in which he has mentioned that the low resolution and low poly graphics in his games allowed for better performance, which in turn enables him to push a lot of boundaries. So he's what we call a liar. Uh, he's the, what's the name of the guy who did The Room? The crazy person. Uh, the movie The Room? Yeah. Not the Brie Larson room, the other room. I was thinking, uh, uh I would, Tommy Wiseau. Yeah, I was about to say, like, uh, I was thinking of director. Well, he is the director. He also directed, wrote, and starred in it. He did all I three. I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say MDK he's a Tommy Wiseau of video games, because Tommy Wiseau actually produced content. Um, and I hear recently that Tommy's actually doing some things for the first time since the room. I'm sure that'll be great. Everyone enabling him for memes. Uh, we didn't use the word memes back when M. Dickey was around on something awful forums, but that's basically what they were. It's Think of like the shittiest PlayStation 1 game you've ever seen, but even shittier. That's what the Wrestling Empire looks like. But you're telling me this is fun? Uh, if If you're... If if you're gonna suspend disbelief, um, and and create your own fun, even if it's a bit <laughs> okay. over the top, is the fun of this game in air quotes like my summer car, where it's just shitty made? That's why you laugh at it. I guess I would say that. Yeah, it's just well, it's the person who's playing the game that makes it fun. It just depends. But whereas for a game like that, um, obviously there's no voices in the game. It's just nothing but sound effects of grunts and groans and weapons breaking. Yeah, it's like, you know, you're... God, No Mercy, I guess, would be the closest comparison. Not that we ever played it. Uh, yeah, he... On the N64. Says he was uh, heavily influenced by WWF No Mercy, Super Fire Pro Wrestling, and WWF WrestleFest. That was one of his influences that led to making him a bunch of wrestling Similar-looking games. Similar-looking games. Yes. Those were his main influences. And you can tell by looking at it, it's like, oh yeah, you haven't moved out of the era of the early 2000s, which is fantastic. If it seems like I'm shitting on this guy too much, I am. Uh, again, he made a new New Testament, putting Dragon Ball Z characters into that, so I, you know, I'm not letting that go. Yeah, I know nothing about that other than what you just told me just now. <laughs> yeah, this is some old internet lore. 2006, I'm telling you, it was a long-ass time ago. There are just some things that are meant to be fallen, you know, just, uh, let me put the words together. Uh, that falls under my radar. Well, you're not super based on internet meme culture, like the history of memes. You're not a memeologist like me. I'm a professional memeologist and memeographer. Including in gaming memes. Yes. Well, especially the early days before, you know, Twitter didn't exist when this guy was making games. So it was a long time ago. And it was, it was on fucking MySpace back then. Jesus. Uh, any more brief thing, things you want to go with? Cause it, it's just your basic fighting game where you press buttons. And occasionally you can be a manager. And it's just like, it is so... It is more of a knockoff of WWE than AEW. You know, it's just the cheapest looking shit. Yeah. And I'm astonished people haven't sued for likeness reasons. But probably because no one's ever heard of this. Yeah, and they don't even use the actual names, but you can tell by the uh, 
Polygraph fix, I guess. I was about to say pixelate, but that's rather incorrect. But uh, Polygons, yeah. Yeah. So that's why that, as other reviewers put it, that the game's been described as a reminiscent of the wrestling games on the N64, which that's where Diggy drew inspiration from. Specifically, the, moved out of, yes. Yeah, specifically the errors focus on gameplay over graphics, in which he believes that fits his priorities as an indie developer. I believe it fits his priorities as someone who is not talented enough to make a modern game. Yes. I mean, I'm kind of slightly guilty of that as too, where I'm like gameplay over graphics. At least that's just for video recording reasons for me. That's strictly that. See, see, shit like this comes off as we've had this discussion on and off air many times of the part that you and I disagree the most in the genre, the kind of thing we disagree the most is comedy. There are things you find funny that I despise. Such as, such as many well, episodes ago when we talked about the FMV games. Yes, this reminds me so much of that conversation. So I don't, I don't want to get as angry as I did in FMV games because I will acknowledge at least Wrestling Empire is a video game, unlike all the unlike Tender Loving Care, which is not a video game. Uh, <laughs> but it, it, there's just, there's so little substance to it. This is what we call a five minute game. You're like, okay, I get it. I, I get the point of this. How many hours can you really sink into this knockoff WWE game? Well, well, it's not just knockoff WWE, but it's knockoff all of wrestling because they have about 350 plus wrestlers. Um, all of them How, with parody are, are names. They, are they any different? It's just bulk. It's just bulk Horgan and Nacho Man. Like, how does that fucking matter, really? Yeah, that includes you know other real life people behind the scenes as well. You know the promoters. Yeah. Yeah, these are all. So, so Rance McChicken or whatever his name is, great. That's so clever. But what's the point? As a, I gotta ask you again, as I asked you with the FMV games, what is the point of this game? I don't know. Trying to out, probably in his mind, trying to I don't know outdo his passers game as a way of saying like, how can I make my best worst game better? So. Like, how is any individual match different than any other individual match? Is I think a better question. Like different match stipulations, like as like if you were then do the wrestling part, right? Yeah, because it's useless to have three hundred characters if every character plays the exact same. Well, the move sets are actually slightly different from everybody else's, but at least when the first game came out, it was kind of basic. But it it's still being updated every once a month for a few months. Um. Especially inspired by certain um, big moves that happened on a wrestling show recently. Um, and they thought, oh, I'll add that to the game. That's what I saw from the yeah. little dev diary. Dev diary. This guy who hasn't had a creative idea in 20 years. Come on. I'm not going to let this go. No. I'm gonna, I, far too often I just let you say stuff and be like yeah okay and now i'm like no 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 this guy sucks and this game sucks and i don't need to i just need one screenshot i was like i know exactly who that is he's infamous in my early days and then as another person put it from uh nintendo life chris uh scullion do you know his name not the way you pronounced it yeah um, i probably butchered his name um anyways uh, from nintendo life who reviewed it he gave it a six out of ten rating which he Praise the amount of detail put in that large roster, concentration of options, and career mode. While noting the game engine was laughably prone to botches that you have to get into an equally unhinged mindset to join. 
Overall, he yes, saw the game as overwhelmingly impressive, especially considering that it was created by a single person. Yes, that has been doing the same shit for 15 plus years and hasn't improved. I can't even compare him to Vince Russo, because at least Vince Russo had some success. And he had infinite amount of ideas. Yes, and Dickie has one idea. He just does it over and over again. Alright, so uh, when you told me you played this game, I was like, I hope you didn't pay money for this. It was on a deal off when I got it, so it was $10. So normally was it's it 29% off? No, it was one of those uh, Steam Spring sales that I got. Well, you like what you like, but uh, you're not going to bring it on this show. I'm going to cut that part out. <laughs> this, uh, there's words here. Right. Hold on, I'm trying to remember the, one of those famous wrestling phrases. This miscarriage of justice or whoever said that. Like JR would say, it's my ass. <laughs> Wrap this part up so we can move to the next thing. I got nothing else, man. It's just Thank a, God. it's just, a, cut, there's the wrestling the and then there's the booking GM mode thing. Like WWE Yeah, it's stuff does. you see in SmackDown vs. Raw 2006. Yeah. Not, wrestling games haven't changed in years. Fighting games, at least, you know, are made by different companies. There's like four wrestling games, really. Is WWE and then you know various Japanese ones, mm-hmm. but they're all basically the same kind of thing. They're they're a lot closer to sport. Wrestling games are much closer to sports games than they are fighting games, because fighting games grow and adapt and evolve and change with console generations and the times. It's like if you go play you know SmackDown vs Raw 2006 on the PS2, it's going to play pretty much the same as your modern day one. Huh. Not to mention different roster of wrestlers both living and dead. Yeah, different roster of your NFL team year per year. That's what I'm saying. It's more like a sports game. Yeah. A fighting game is bigger than its roster. It has to play differently than its predecessors. Yeah. It has to grow and evolve. And wrestling for 100 years kind of hasn't. Yeah, it's it's, it's like, uh, well, nothing's original wrestling, as even people in that sort of line of work would even say. There's only so many times you can pretend to hate the guy you're punching in the face. Uh-huh. As far as the retro aspect, I'm not upset about the whole it looking and playing like an old game, as I am the guy who actually made it. Because uh, this is a thing we've been meaning to talk about for like four months now. Uh-huh. I've also been playing a really old-ass game on Xbox Game Pass. They finally, after years, re-released GoldenEye. GoldenEye, not 64. They they removed that one. Well, obviously, it's not GoldenEye 64 because it's not on the Nintendo 64. But holy shit, it plays exactly like it was. I, this was 20 years ago, right? Yeah, roughly 20 years ago since we last played it before we moved on to the Nintendo GameCube. You and I played it. Uh, Our other brother Nick played it. Our cousins, Jerry and Jeremiah, and I think even Emmanuel played it. We all played it. Yeah, we could say their names, they're not listening. And, you know, it was fun local multiplayer back when that was a thing. You have to get a bunch of controllers, plug them all in, you have a tiny window on the screen, and we were screen-watching. This is the time, for some of you, use the phrase screen-watching bitch, which is now lost to the ages. No, that doesn't exist anymore. But uh, after many years of legal and licensing and a PS3 360 re-release that was... One of the worst first-person shooters of all time. Uh, Rogue Agent? No, the re-release, the one with Daniel Craig in GoldenEye. Oh. I told you about it. They redid. They basically redid the whole game, but horribly. It's, it's a terrible game. Um, the, I can't say new GoldenEye. The remaster of GoldenEye is just like the old game. 
Looks, plays, you know, the aiming is slightly better because of modern control scheme as compared to the N64 controller. But it's the same game, which is one of my big issues with remakes and re-releases. Like, how many times can you play the same game? I played GoldenEye, not 100%, because it would require me to do very annoying things. But I played it all the time. Probably hundreds of hours, I don't know. So when I'm Was that now or then? Here, then, obviously. So when replaying it again here, it's like, there's nothing here. It's just, it's, I can't even say it's prettier. I've got a fucking 4K TV here. I'm playing N64 games. What am I doing? So, well, now that I've played uh, GoldenEye some time ago, um, I mean, I haven't beaten it, rebeat it, if there's even a term. Um, but anyways, it's like, haven't beaten it just yet because I kind of stopped short at the jungle where you'll go to Cuba where the last few levels are. Because it's kind of a pain in the ass. Oh, yeah. Those are the ones that'll kick your ass, including the, uh... Well, is it okay if I steal a phrase from you? Go ahead. Protect the bullshit. Oh, jeez. I I got to the mission... I don't remember this mission at all. This is one of the shitty ones I would never replay, apparently. You're on a boat. Motherfucker. Oh, frigate? Yes, and it's like, oh, save civilians. It's like, huh? What are you talking about? I turn the corner, and there's one of those Russian dudes holding a gun to a person who's... Holding your hands up. Okay, that must be he's a civilian. I shoot the Russian dude two or three times. He doesn't die. And then he shoots the civilian. Mission failed. This is a minute in to the mission. It's like, fuck this. <laughs> oh, that just reminded me because when I played that particular level, when I got in, and of course, you know, I was using the, you know, whatever, whatever they did give me off the start. And I just, mm -hmm. I accidentally shot the hostage in the shoulder so I can get to the other guy to kill it. And then the hostage didn't give me shit for it. Just, you know, eventually he goes and went. You know, you ought to be careful where you shoot it. I, only that would happen again at the archives level, if you recall that one. Ah, oh, fucking Natalia. Yeah, um, where there was even an instance where it's like, where I used those two um, pistols, you know, dual wielding. Uh, where I was just shooting willy-nilly with these handguns uh, up until I come across the room where you find Natalia in there. And just like it, frigate. Accidentally shot her shoulder only to get to the other guy. And she didn't give me shit for it. So everything's okay. <laughs> Even when I have it, I'm like, shit, shit, shit. <laughs> and uh, don't, don't worry, it's, it's fine. It's not dead yet. <laughs> it's, just, it's the thing I remember about Goldeneye and the not technically sequel, World is Not Enough. Yeah. Is that they let, even if you failed the mission objective, it would still let you keep playing the mission until you quit. Or die. Or died or got to the end of the level. Because that was another thing that happened to me on whatever the, the first bunker one is. I don't know what they're... I can't remember the names of these generic ass levels. Surface, like, bunker... Bunker, surface, silo. It's like, what, these are terrible names of things. Anyways, you go underground and you're supposed to take a photo of a board or something, right? Or copy the big a board. You're supposed to do one of those two things, right? And I'm like, I played this 20 years ago. I don't need to read no mission objectives. I'm just going to go in and shoot everyone and leave, right? Yeah. So I go in, shoot everyone and leave. And I head out the exit door and said, mission fails. Like, Huh? You take a take a photo. What? It's like it, a camera. I have a camera. This is the problem with a not reading mission objectives, but b the game not actually telling you what to do. And also that little golden eye disc thingy. Yeah, I had to like copy the disc, and I, it took me a fucking minute to figure out what I do. I was like, select it. Okay, now use it. Now on, now select the other thing. Now use it. Like, fuck. Yeah, you yeah. How, how did we tolerate this 20 years ago? Yeah, it's like you do it like, okay, it's copied, and then what's next? Supposed to throw it out. Then it counts as objective complete, because you just threw the thing out. I just threw it on the ground, pissed on it. 
So I'm like almost halfway through. I don't know if I want to keep going. It's, I was doing for like a Game Pass achievement quest or stuff, but uh, man, this sucks. You really cannot go home again. There's nostalgia, and then there's like, we should not have revisited this. This blows ass. And by the fucking way, this is another thing we need to bring up. So 20 years ago when we played, we cheated. We cheated all the damn day long. Mm-hmm. We wouldn't play a game unless we could cheat. You have to unlock the cheats by... Goldeneye in the 64 had unlockable cheats and type-in cheats. I'm... This re-release only has the unlockable, and the only way to unlock them is to complete speed runs, basically, which are absurd, ridiculous, and not something I generally enjoy in any game. Yeah, you got... So you got to replay previously compu- uh, completed levels at a target time of a higher difficulty to unlock them. Yes, which is not fun. And also back ass backwards way of design because, and this is true of a lot of video games, like even Resident Evil 4 Remake that just came out, it's like, oh, you want the infinite gun that lets you kill anything in one hit? Well, you got to beat it on the hardest difficulty in under four hours. It's like, well, if I've already done that, then why do I need the infinite gun, you know? Like you're saying that there's got to be some degree of replayability. What well, what is the purpose of having an easy way when I've already done it the hardest way possible? A lot of games use Metal Gear to Resident Evil to a billion things do this like beat the hardest th- challenge we get in the game. Okay, now you have infinite forever whatever. It's like, what's left to do? I am Alexander weeping. I have no more lands left to conquer here. Huh. Guess it's just a relic of how gaming was from the 90s into the mid 2000s. Yeah, but it's still happening. Like I said, Resident Evil just did it. Actually, Dead Space Remake also did it with their gun. Your pew-pew gun. So it's like, this is not a re- the reward you think it is. Maybe for, maybe as a guy who really doesn't like playing super difficult shit, blah, 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 Dark Souls. The reward for beating Dark Souls wasn't an infinite, infinite uh, weapon proficiency or any of that shit, you know? Is it like, is there such, oh, it's like there's nostalgia, then there's false nostalgia, you once said. What what we feel for Goldeneye is not the game. What we feel for Goldeneye is you, me, and Nick playing in the same room on the same console on the same shitty TV. And suspense of disbelief. No, no, no. We remember the times together. Remember the fun we had when we were kids and had less responsibility and, you know, there was less internet traffic. Yeah, we were a product of the 90s. Yes, and so when you revisit that time, you're like, oh, we didn't actually like this thing. We liked the fun we had at the moment. You don't miss the thing. You miss the person you were. And that's the real trap of nostalgia, I think. So some remakes, like, you know, Resident Evil or Dead Space, you know, a fresher coat of paint on an old idea, can you know, modern update controls, is a better way to do it, as opposed to GoldenEye, which is just, here's the same game again. And then, I, now I say that, but then they did remake GoldenEye on the PS3 360 era, and it was fucking terrible. But I think that's just bad design by them, and trying to insert characters and change characters around. It's terrible. I'm not saying... I, I, it, this this comes up so much, so many times in this this podcast here we do. Is like... Nostalgia is good, but we have to understand the point of nostalgia. It's like, I love playing old games... But it will never be the same way again. And it can't be, and it shouldn't be, and you shouldn't expect it. Yeah, all it did, it just left a very lasting impression in video game culture of the time. Sure. I, I think it... This is one of the, the other things about GoldenEye. It's like, look, I liked it back then, but even back then, when 2001, 2002 came around, I was like, no, Halo's way better. 
it's just you could say um, how first person shooter games were played back then. Goldeneye at the time was the state of the art. It was new. That broke out the old way of first person shooter games like um, Doom was as far as sure. The, but there the were mechanics. there was what there was what five years of separation between Doom and Goldeneye. There were three years of separation between Goldeneye and Halo. The jump from Goldeneye to Halo is way bigger than the jump from Doom to Goldeneye. Doom did not... It, technically, if we're being really honest, it's Return to Castle Wolfenstein that did it before Doom. Okay. Doom made it popular. But Doom 2, and even years later, Doom 3, didn't improve on the formula. I would even argue Doom 2016 and Doom Eternal didn't improve on the formula. It just made it shinier and new. Advancements in the technology didn't occur until Halo. And then we had another huge leap in Call of Duty 4. First Modern Warfare. And every kind of, really, honestly, every game has been aping Modern Warfare ever since. And I kind of wish we'd find a new thing, but maybe there isn't a new thing. Maybe first-person shooters have plateaued and they're never going to get better. I mean, it's, I mean, it feels like we could have done a separate podcast. I mean, I think you and would do a much better job as far as game genre and the evolution of it. Maybe. Because it's, it's not like we need innovation in something as simplistic. I, I say, you know, dumbasses who don't understand video games look at first-person shooters as like, oh, they're murder simulators. They're just teaching children to kill. It's like, no, it's a simpler way of understanding a, an objective. It's like, you are A. You need to get to B. X, Y, and Z are in your way. And the simplest way of eliminating X, Y, and Z is to actually eliminate them. They're not real people. They don't really die when you shoot them. But first-person shooters are still the most popular genre. Call of Duty sells the most every single year. So how long is this trend going to last? I don't know. People are going to keep making them. All I want is for people to stop pretending GoldenEye was the best thing ever. It was good for its time, but I can tell you right now, it does not hold up 20 years later. We don't need to say that on air. Oh, okay. Or there's both grown old men. Yes, we're both old-ass men. That's much better. <laughs> Anyways, anything else in this very nostalgic making me depressed thinking about how old I am now? Not what really. What do you have coming up oh. on your channel? Oh, we forgot to promote you last oh, time. Oh, Shiznit, the YouTube channel of mine, which I even sometimes forget that I have one because, honestly, <laughs> I haven't been recording in weeks because of uh, reasons. You don't need to say. It's fine. But they can still find you there, and where can they? At the uh, Lord Master channel, of course. That's uh, do I have to spell it out again? Please. <laughs> that's L. That's capital L zero R D capital M A S T A. Yes. I will try to put another link in the description, although it doesn't work on uh, RSS. And uh, but do you tell me what's coming up in my channel? Yes. Yes. Well, I plan on recording an Oregon Trail video, you know, that Sonic Pockets versus the Oregon Trail, whatever. Mm -hmm. I usually do that every April and October, every twice a year, in fact, that's the norm for me. Sure. And, uh, and there's an ongoing series of Imperator Rome that I've been doing, which has been in hiatus slightly, and as well as that other ongoing, Seder Kings 3, that's also in hiatus for me, because... I don't know. I've become a bit exhausted doing these kind of playthroughs. That's why I've been doing other things as of late. Um, I was saying, are you going to make videos of the uh, new world or, or excuse me, old world, old, new world, different game? 
Are you going to make videos of Old World or Wrestling Empire? Not the Wrestling Empire, fuck no. I let other people handle that shit. All right. And I'm saying that with, with that kind of expression I just did just now. But as for Old World, I need a little more seasoning on that game before I even consider thinking about recording. All right. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, at Loki Jarson. Uh, this podcast is available on Spotify, iTunes, and Amazon Music, wherever great podcasts are had. Uh, thanks for being on again, Thomas. Much. Yes. Much? Uh, hold on. Much, yes. I was about to say, I was about to say much delighted. Is that correct? Eh. You could just say thanks for letting, for having me. That's fine. Okay. Well, then thanks for having me again at this time. Great. And thank you, listener, for listening. Goodbye.